Hey, podcast family. Welcome to part two of female sexual dysfunction. In this episode, we're going to focus on the treatments for each of the four main DSM-5 female sexual dysfunction categories. Let's start with the most common dysfunction, which is female sexual interest and arousal disorder. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a critical part of treatment for this condition. This could include examining maladaptive thoughts, unreasonable expectations, behaviors that reduced interest or trust in a relationship, or insufficient stimuli while simultaneously working to improve the emotional closeness of the couple. Now, here's a clinical pearl. Patients are taught to not focus on the end result of sexual desire, which of course is orgasm, but rather on activities that achieve intimacy and pleasure with their partner. Remember, this is part of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. In this same line, ACOG recognizes that mindfulness is also an appropriate technique in this realm. Sex therapy can also take it one step further with sensate-focused techniques, which focus on being present during intimate exchanges and eventual progression towards sexual touch. Psychotherapy is used when the drivers of female sexual interest and arousal disorder seem to be more deeply rooted conflicts with self-image or sexual trauma. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, mindfulness and CBT, what about medications? Well, there is a role for that. But remember, unless we undo those negative thought processes, medications can only do so much. But let's take a look at pharmacotherapy nonetheless. Hormonal therapy has been used historically for sexual interest and arousal dysfunction in women, although most of these studies have focused mainly on postmenopausal women. The majority of these studies in postmenopausal women have focused on estrogen supplementation, while others have focused on postmenopausal women taking testosterone. Now, the Endocrine Society published a clinical practice guideline recommending transdermal testosterone for short-term use in postmenopausal patients with female sexual interest and arousal disorder. They recommend counseling regarding unknown risks of long-term use and continuous monitoring for evidence of androgen excess. Given only modest improvements seen in the existing literature and the limited data regarding the long-term side effects, here's a clinical pearl, testosterone is not currently approved by the FDA for treatment of women with sexual dysfunction. And remember, this is only in postmenopausal women where it can be considered for short-term use and as an off-label basis. For premenopausal women with female sexual interest and arousal disorder, there are isolated studies evaluating the role of transdermal testosterone. However, and again, here's the clinical pearl, the evidence is considered insufficient to recommend testosterone-based treatment for premenopausal women with this condition. When considering non-hormonal interventions, bupropion, which is a dopamine and norepi agonist, has been studied for treatment of female sexual interest and arousal disorder. Bupropion does have a significant effect on increasing measures of sexual arousal, orgasm completion, and sexual satisfaction, according to some studies. Off-label use of bupropion remains a key non-hormonal option for the management of female sexual interest and arousal disorder. Now remember, we're talking about medications, but we've already said that the critical foundation of this therapy is cognitive behavioral therapy. So make sure to not rely just on medications to get the job done. 
Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, what about Viagra? Can we use that sildenafil? Well, sildenafil, which, remember, is a potent selective inhibitor of phosphodiesterase 5, has been shown to enhance genital blood flow and vaginal and clitoral vaginal congestion. Several studies have evaluated its potential as an off-label agent to treat female sexual interest and arousal dysfunction, but there's varying and some conflicting results. As expected, sildenafil has more of an impact when the dysfunction has to do with arousal than with, say, interest. Berman et al. focused specifically on female sexual arousal disorder independent of sexual interest and found through a double-blind, placebo-controlled approach that sildenafil led to improvement on the female intervention efficiency index, demonstrating an immediate improved outcome in patients with arousal-specific dysfunction. Remember that sildenafil is not FDA-approved for use for women. But flibanserin, which is a 5-hydroxytryptamine, or a 5-HT, modulator, specifically, it's a 5-HT1A agonist, and a 5-HT2A antagonist is FDA-approved for hypoactive sexual desire disorder. This was the first medication specifically FDA-approved to treat the condition in women. According to published studies, which included over 2,000 women that had a mean age of 36 years of age and a median duration of hypoactive sexual desire disorder of 56 months, the mean number of satisfying sexual events over 28 days was 2.1 with flibanserin compared with 1.2 with placebo. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, and, and it really isn't a big change, but nonetheless, that p-value was statistically significant. The authors concluded that flibanserin was well-tolerated, improved sexual desire, and reduced sexual distress associated with hypoactive sexual desire disorder in premenopausal women. Now, a recent evaluation of safety for flibanserin with a focus on sedation and hypotension-related side effects confirms that flibanserin is indeed well-tolerated and effective. Now, there had been some concern about the possibility of alcohol causing severe hypotension with use of this medication. However, a subsequent study found no appreciable dose response between flibanserin and alcohol, so the FDA changed their recommendation to update the box warning stating that alcohol and the medication should be delayed by at least two hours, in other words, wait two hours after the use of alcohol before starting the medication, but it wasn't a black box warning anymore. We've just covered flibanserin, which is the trade name Addy, but the newest medication to be FDA approved for female sexual interest and arousal disorder is Vilesi, which is bromelanotide. This is a melanocortin-4 receptor agonist and was the second pharmaceutical agent to be approved for this condition. This medication is a subcutaneous auto-injection administered into the thigh or the abdomen 45 minutes before sexual activity. Dosing can be repeated every 24 hours and it should not be used more than 8 times in a month. Bromelanotide has also been associated with statistically significant improvement in the sexual satisfaction, lubrication, orgasm, and arousal domains in published studies. Although the number of satisfying sexual events was not significant in any trial, they were higher in the bromelotide group, raising the question of true clinical benefit. 
But nonetheless, it is another option that's available, although the limitation that's grossly obvious is that it's an injection that has to be given by the patient. Adverse effects were responsible for 18% of participants discontinuing or interrupting treatment. Now that we've covered Vilesi, this brings us to a wrap of all the most commonly used treatments for female sexual interest and arousal disorder. Let's move on to the next category. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Female orgasmic disorder is defined as either primary, which is when a patient has never had an orgasm, or secondary, when she has had one in the past but is currently not able to achieve one and it's been six months and it causes her personal distress. Primary female orgasm disorder can be related to childhood experiences or trauma, and so this can be addressed by psychotherapy. Primary female orgasmic disorder may also be related to an underlying medical condition, like a neurological disorder, in which case the underlying medical condition needs to be addressed. Finally, primary female orgasmic disorder may be idiopathic, which is obviously much more difficult to treat. For secondary female orgasmic dysfunction, this can be caused by psychological changes, new stressors, or new onset medical conditions. Of course, it can also be caused by medications, but we'll talk about that under the category of substance or medication-induced sexual dysfunction. Nonetheless, treatment of female orgasmic dysfunction is predominantly cognitive and behavioral, along with psychoanalytical therapy. Education is a key component of intervention for this condition. This includes education about anatomy and physiology, variation in the sexual response, and forms of stimulation that can be used to reach orgasm. Directed masturbation, which includes a series of exercises focused on self-awareness and self-exploration, is intended to improve comfort with the erotic areas of the body. Sensate focus, which was described again, remember, for female sexual interest and arousal disorder, is also used for female orgasmic dysfunction. And of course, no discussion about orgasmic ability would be complete without a brief discussion about vibratory stimulation. That's right, vibrators. There's actually data. A single arm prospective study has evaluated the use of vibratory stimulation for women with arousal and orgasmic disorders and demonstrated increased lubrication, orgasm, and genital sensation after three months of use in the majority of patients. So the use of vibrators may be considered in conjunction with cognitive behavioral support and more directed sexual therapy techniques like directed masturbation and sensation. Safe focus. We're moving on to genital pelvic pain and penetration disorder. This is the third category in the DSM 5. Treatment of genital pelvic pain and penetration disorder is dependent on the primary underlying etiology. For example, in the postmenopausal patient, vaginal atrophy, of course, is an understandable cause of sexual pain. Remember that the term vulvovaginal atrophy has been replaced by the more broad-encompassing term genitourinary syndrome of menopause. 
This is defined as, quote, a collection of symptoms and signs associated with a decrease in estrogen and other sex steroids involving changes to the labia majora, the minora, the clitoris, the vestibule, the introitus, the vagina, the urethra, and the bladder. The syndrome may include, but is not limited to, genital symptoms of dryness, burning, irritation, sexual pain, and impaired function, and it can also include urinary symptoms of urgency, dysuria, and recurrent urinary tract infections, end quote. Women with genital urinary syndrome of menopause and other forms of bubble vaginal atrophy may be treated with vaginal moisturizers like Replens or KY liquid beads, or they can use several lubricants like KY jelly or other varieties. Vaginal moisturizers and lubricators appear to be effective for many women and are recommended as the first line of treatment. Remember that vaginal estrogen serves as the second line. Now, a quick word about vaginal estrogen treatment. Vaginal estrogen is thought to have minimal systemic absorption, and so this can be used in patients with a history of hormone-sensitive cancers if non-hormonal options are not effective. Now, remember, though, that it's always important to talk to the physician's oncologist when starting this medication, although the ACOG says it can be done. Next, there's DHEA for vaginal use. Intravaginal dehydroepiandrosterone has been studied both in preclinical and clinical settings on objective and subjective measures of vulval vaginal atrophy. The data is good, and it's another option for patients who have this condition. Now, beyond vaginal therapy, osphenophene is a recently FDA-approved selective estrogen receptor modulator that's given orally at 60 milligrams a day, and this functions as an estrogen agonist in the vagina and has been found to be effective in treating vulvovaginal atrophy. Now, the most frequent noted side effect were hot flushes at 6.6%. Now, here's a clinical pearl. Given the agonistic effect on the endometrium, the FDA currently recommends using an opposing progestin when giving osphenophene if the patient still has a uterus, although this has not been evaluated in randomized trials. All right, now here's a clinical pearl. Remember that we focus on the vagina and vaginal health here for this condition. But don't forget that, of course, a proper history and physical exam and indicated testing should be done to look for other causes of genital pelvic pain syndromes. And these can include things like fibroids or prolapse or endometriosis. Now, if all of these causes are ruled out, then the patient may be diagnosed with and treated for genital pelvic pain and penetration disorder because, remember, that that means that you've ruled out all other potential organic causes of the condition. And finally, substance or medication-induced sexual dysfunction should be treated, obviously, by stopping the offending medication or substance, if possible. But first, let's take a look, for example, at antidepressant use. If a patient has a good response to mood to an antidepressant, but is also having significant sexual side effects, then adjuvant therapy can be considered. For example, sildenafil can be used in women that have antidepressant-induced secondary sexual dysfunction, because sildenafil has been shown to have benefit in that patient population. Now, given the mechanism and the existing data, sildenafil may play a role in the treatment for patients with either antidepressant-induced sexual dysfunction or just for specific sexual arousal disorder, which we covered earlier in the podcast.
Another option would be to discuss transitioning to another antidepressant, for example, bupropion, given generally improved sexual functioning with this agent, although this does require a switch to a different antidepressant. All right, Clinical Pearls listeners, that brings us to a wrap for part two of female sexual dysfunction, which is a summary of the new clinical expert series from the Green Journal on the same topic. This is not yet out in print, but it's available as an article published ahead of print. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.